You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom, this is... Shalom, this is... To stir with love. Normally, of course, I'm here with the chief chaplain of Waymart, the head of chaplaincy in Waymart, whatever the title is. He's he's the big kahuna over there. <laughs> Rabbi Yitzchak Kalakowski. But today we have a special, incredible schus and honor and pleasure that we are joined by his Rebetzin, Rebetzin Chava Kalakowski herself. Uh, who is Yitzchok's better half, I would say, right? According to all uh, all opinions, she is a very sought after speaker. Uh, I know that throughout many many communities uh, uh, in the Northeast, uh, they are, uh, are are very eager to have you come and speak and inspire them with with many aspects of your personal story. But you're here tonight not to tell us of your own personal story. You're here with your husband because. I've gotten a little bit of feedback on about this program and said, you know, Rabbi Kivilevich, you give us always a perspective of what Jewish men have to go through if they are incarcerated and what issues they face and what sort of in, in, in terms of the other religious uh, communities there. And it's obviously your the man you're in, the man who's part of your podcast, uh, Rabbi Kolakowski, is only dealing with men. Aren't there women who also are uh, incarcerated and have their own issues, and especially uh, Jewish women? And why don't you give us any perspective as far as that goes? And of course, the reason is, and I spoke to your husband about it today, he said, well, I, I know a little bit about it, but the best person who could speak to that would be my wife. So thank you so much for giving us some perspective on this. Um, so you, you, why don't you tell us exactly what your position is? Uh, so I don't really work in a prison. I'm actually the Jewish chaplain for Rockland Psychiatric Center, which is a psychiatric hospital. State hospital. State hospital. With the Office of Mental Health. Yeah. yeah, through the Office of Mental Health, New York State Office of Mental Health. So basically, although it's not technically incarceration, the majority of the people that I deal with are there involuntarily, meaning the courts have ordered them to have a certain length of hospital stay, at which point they will re be reviewed to see if they're able to be discharged and so on and so forth. So, so it these, is similar. So, so, so these women, uh, Rebbets and Chava, are women that committed some sort of aberration. Their their behavior was aberrant and and in a way could have been considered criminal, but because of psychological evaluation, they have been shown not to be necessarily 100% responsible for their actions. So, I... so some of the majority of the, the women that I'm dealing with have done things that are under the umbrella of the Baker Act. So it, a lot of people hear Baker Act, which means a 72-hour hold. For example, if you go to the emergency room, you say I'm suicidal, I feel like hurting myself, often you will be admitted for 72 hours under the Baker Act, at which point you have to be seen by a psychiatrist and evaluated on whether or not you need further treatment. That's a law um, in New York State. In other states, Florida uses it quite a bit that's there to help people, actually really to help people um, with mental illness get the treatment that they need. So many of my patients have done things like 
that would be considered misdemeanors. <clears throat> For example, yelling in public. Mm -hmm. um, if you want to get more salacious, public indecency is a thing. Mm -hmm. um, but it's really behavior that sprouts from a, a mental a mental illness. It's or, a or symptom yeah, or su threatening suicide. Or, or, even or though that's suicide. So the Baker Act, so these people are technically they're under uh, another umbrella of the Baker Act. Mm -hmm. So um, so 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 you're per, what you're there as as a chaplain to provide them with religious uh, service guidance. Is that your is that what you are there for? Sure. So the majority of my day since the pandemic hit is counseling, meaning I go, I visit patients, largely women. They speak to me about their day, their needs, their week. How was it? How do you feel today? How's your medication? Whatever. But also I'm here to provide any. And although I'm the Jewish chaplain, I really have an interfaith approach to um my position at the hospital i'm there to provide any religious need that people may have so i have for example um gotten tinea's clothing for women because as we all know those hospital gowns do not cover anything and generally when you come to the hospital they take your clothes for a certain period of time just to make sure that you're stable and that you're not going to use for example a long sleeve shirt or some socks to wound yourself or others mm -hmm. so, it's a safety measure. So, so i will come in with maybe a long sleeved gown if if they're approved and i part of my job is getting that approval from doctors and so on and so forth um so, so i'm assuming i'm assuming uh, uh Chava, that the although you said you also minister and speak to the non-jewish uh, patients there that you do deal with a lot of, well, I guess, uh, Orthodox Jewish women. My, I mean, I guess who else? Maybe some Muslim women and others would like to wear more Tzniya's clothes. But I, sure. I'm assuming that that's who you're talking about, right? Yeah, absolutely. And for example, I have um, experienced patients, for example, from faith backgrounds like Jay's Witnesses or Mormons who, who feel like, Here's this lady. She's a religious lady. I can speak to her about my religious needs. And a lot of that deals with modesty. You know, so, I don't like when the male nurses X, Y, Z. I wish I could have a female. And that's absolutely a religious consideration. And I can advocate for them in that regard. Would you speculate here? And of course, a, a hospital situation, although the way you've described it is somewhat tenuous. Would you say that that there's probably something similar going on with incarcerated women in prisons as well, that they, let's say that uh, Orthodox women or, or, or religious Muslim women are also and maybe suffering in, in, in their incarceration for that they aren't necessarily allowed to uh, dress as modestly, or is that only you think only in a hospital? Let's say in a prison itself, where where they actually have been, where they're actually doing their time, and they they don't they aren't they aren't suffering from some mental deficiencies. What would you say? Maybe your husband would be able to comment on this. What do, so, what, what, so, so I know that in in the Pennsylvania D Department of Corrections, uh, there is a provision for Muslim women to have a hijab. Um, 
and and part of that will include that when a woman is being searched, she'll only have a, a female guard searching her uh, if she has to take off the hijab for any reason. Um, it will be when when there's a female guard present, no, that, that no male guard is present, no male CO is present at that time. As far as I know, we don't have any really serious Orthodox Jewish women in the, or, or really serious Orthodox Jewish men in, in the Pennsylvania Department of Corrections, but I, I'm sure in New York or in the federal prison system, other places, these types of issues come up as well. Um, I, you know, they're, they're um, the uniform that they have to wear obviously is including pants so that i am sure um, so that might that might be that might be a, a religious issue right that might be something that yeah. uh, uh, again but, we know we know the post game even Avadi and others uh that have talked about this that it really depends if it's tight fitting pants or not yeah. that there might but, be there might be uh, ways not to turn. Can we again? Obviously, you don't want to use. I think uh, Rabbitson and 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 Rabbi. I think you both agree that when we when we are trying to push the state or the federal government for uh, allowing religious activities, we've got to know what we what which battles we should fight and realize that we expend credit often when we might win one battle, but we might lose the war in the future. So. <laughs> The truth is, though, in in the prison, and it really should be in the mental hospital as well, there's the Religious Land Use Institutionalized Persons Act, which is a federal law. And this law provides not only for something that we would consider to be a chiv religiously, but even things that are uh, religious um, expressions, as long as it's not a, as long as there is no pressing government interest in preventing this from taking place um it doesn't have to be an essential aspect of the religion it could be any form of religious expression um would be permitted and and so the question is is there a pressing religious reason for example this this uh, example that uh, of wearing a skirt could that be an issue and yes it could be an issue because it might be easy to to conceal contraband in a similar way uh, all kinds of religious headgear there have been the same type of questions that have come up as far as um we talked about the sikh uh, uh sure. turbans and and the and and the i think it's called a uh, the, the 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 types of kufis that the uh, moorish science temple and some of the other groups might wear that that isn't fitting flush the head and these questions could come up a, a, a fascinating thing that uh is kind of incongruous to anything that you would think of with traditional islam or any really traditional religion is that the hijab at least in the in the, in the doc a, a a man who identifies himself as a trans woman who is muslim is allowed to have a hijab which uh it, it's it's kind of strange but that that's the meaning that these i don't uh, you know what if we're not i'm sure that we're not that far behind i'm sure yeah. there soon to be a trans orthodox man <laughs> if that term yeah. can even be used is going to happen too as well and they're going to probably yeah. end up in prison and want to be able to wear uh their tickle 
if that's if yeah. that's if that is what yeah. is if that's what they feel must be done. I'm sure that we're not that far behind. I, I hate yeah. saying that, but <laughs> I think that's where it looks like our society is leading us. You know, you know. Let me ask both of you. I mean, you know, you know, of course, Chava, that. Um, that your husband and I both have like, you know, probably, you know, a, a, a weird and abnormal knowledge of Hollywood and films which is what we do in, you know, half of the program. But, you know, so both of us really, you know, we're thinking about, yes, you know, I, I was looking before, you know, about, you know, women in prison films, which we might talk about later, but, you know, clearly it's more an anomaly. And I think part of the reason why it's this great exploitation aspect is because it's something you don't really expect. Um, I would say, you know, from, from what we know from our uh, culture and from media and from film, you know, we know there are women prisons, but I, I didn't do a search, but I would assume, and, and you can back me up and maybe we can look it up now, that the amount of women in the total prison population, would you say it's like 15%? In other words, taking the total popular prison incarcerated people. I, I, I think it's less than that because in... The example I can think of is, again, I'm coming from the vantage point of Pennsylvania, where we have about 30 prisons total, two of which are women's prisons, and and the other 28 Mm. are, well, 26 are male-only prisons, and two of them are co-ed prisons. Uh, One is a boot camp, which is actually co-ed, and the other one is just kind of a very large prison that has a women's section that's kind of more temporary. So would, so do you think that's true, Chava, also? About 90% of the people who are incarcerated are probably men? 90% and there's only 10% oh, women? Yeah. That's, that's when it comes to prison incarceration, but when it comes to mental mm-hmm. hospitals, state hospitals... It's I would, well, if we're talking about probably. people who are there involuntarily who have come in, who've committed some sort of crime, I would say the lion's share of them are men. But we do have women's only units, and there are many women there who have committed even serious crimes. Um, again, I'm probably not at leisure to talk about exactly what they are because of HIPAA laws, but the crimes that I know women who are under my sort of cholesterol care. care have committed crimes anywhere from simple things, again, like yelling in public or right. shoplifting all the way up to murder. Mm-hmm. And and so so I guess you know so we sort of have this sense that that you know men are the problem right the men are the ones who are aggressive men are the ones who are in gangs. Well, uh, I wouldn't the... say that. I would just th- I just think that men um, are much more out there about it. Women are much more devious. You're saying that women get away with their crimes more. That's, <laughs> I mean, I hate to say it, but that's. Just from my own knowledge of the crimes that have been committed, um, just my knowledge of crime, basically, I would say, uh, yeah, the women just get away with it easier. Is that so? Wow. And this is not from popular culture. It's not from watching uh, Murder, She Wrote or Thelma and Louise. No. You're getting no, this. And also, you know, if you look at if you look at crime, if you look at, say, murder, you know, a woman who women rarely go to death row and we rarely execute women. I know you guys did a, a podcast not so long ago about the death penalty. Sure. We rarely execute women. And when there is a woman executed, usually there's a lot of hullabaloo beforehand. I just think well, there's any, any, any execution. There's a lot of hullabaloo. Yeah. Any execution, but like a woman, it's like, yeah. what, 
we executing a woman that's it's almost it's very rare so uh, it's, there's a sense of compassion and also if, if the woman does have children or something like that i guess that's uh that's always a mitigating factor um, i mean i think you know not always uh, because you'll have you have women in prison with children. We have women giving birth in prison. Sure. So. I, I understand. But I'm saying when we yeah. want to appeal for mercy, uh, as much as we feel that this is a non-sexist, a Me Too society, and we've, gone, we've moved beyond, everything is equal, I guess juries still, if it's a jury or even a judge who's deciding, there is a certain amount of compassion tilted for women that men don't get. Right? <laughs> so, well, I think as a society, we just have an image of a woman as, as the caretaker. You know, and um, that's the societal and, thing. And, and I think there should be a study done as as far as county jails, where someone is there for two years or less. There's probably a higher percentage yeah. of women in county jails than in state prisons. So, 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 you know, Chava, I know that you know your husband is a kolbynik. You know what a kolbynik is? It's not a it's not a negative. It means he tries to do everything, right? Okay. He, yeah, kolboy. It's like koflamid bezvov. Yeah, what is it? He does rabonis. He writes for him. He speaks. He'll do a chasana. He'll he'll you know he'll he has a podcast. He'll tell jokes. He's like a kolbynik. <laughs> so he's you know so so one but clearly he can you know he's 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 happy wearing a number of hats. Maybe has he tried to to perhaps insert you? In, in a place where you could be perhaps even maybe a chaplain for women in prison. I mean, it would seem like that's something that, uh, although there aren't that many, um, have you ever uh, thought about that, about trying to, um, you know, earn your chaplaincy stripes, uh, you know, you know. I, there was no start. thing in Westchester that I encouraged you to apply for, but you said you were too busy. My, so the rabbi here has encouraged me several times to apply for jobs in prisons. Um, again, he just mentioned there was a prison in Westchester. I love the way you're talking to him in the third person. This is like, <laughs> this is, this is ultimate. This is like really, you know, I thought this was going to be like Nick and Nora Charles, but I see. Oh, I can make I, it Nick and Nora, sure. <laughs> no, I see, I see it's, I see it's more like the, the Rebezokt, the, the Herno. <laughs> this is with Yidna, Wuzukta Yidna. Yeah, okay. Look, I know you guys are very Hasidic, but okay, right. So the <laughs> rabbi, yes, you can say, you know, I don't know what you guys call each other but uh um yeah so what did um yeah so what did the rabbi the rabbi encouraged you yes so he encouraged me to apply for a job in westchester but i considered that two days of my week are taken up at the at rockland psych and the rest of my week is really really filled with taking care of my family right yeah, we, and how we, much of that you know income is really going to be helpful versus what is going to be lost with my time because I've said it before and I'll say it again. Time is money. Oh yes. Yes. Tell, tell the rabbi that I think he time needs is to, money. He needs to know that because we go on like for, for a lot of money. <laughs> Sometimes this podcast is really very, very rich in terms of that. Um, but, but let me ask both of you. I think your husband is probably going to be able to answer that the rabbi himself. Um, you know, again, you've talked about what you do. Do you and, and your wife talked about what she does in the hospital in a prison where let's say we do have an incarcerated Jewish woman and she who knows what she's done? Maybe she's killed her husband and, and she hasn't gotten away with it. Maybe she's been poisoning little dogs in the neighborhood and she and PETA got a hold of her and she got away with it. Maybe she she did some <laughs> sort of she did, she did some sort of whatever Ganevish and they caught her and now you know she's like Bernie Madoff, uh, the, she's like Bernice Madoff. So let's say she's in in. <laughs> 
<laughs> Let's say she's in prison. What, how, how would the chap, could, do you, chaplains that are working with her, are they basically, again, mignonim is not an issue. Are they trying to provide kosher food for her? Is it, what do you hear? I, I, your wife's not doing it, but I know you must hear about it somehow, right? I mean, Who's, I'm going, I'm going to the uh, Aleph Institute uh, uh, conference, not this weekend, but the following weekend. So I guess I can talk to the rabbis who go, who go to the women's prisons there, maybe gets a little bit of insight, but that's, that's going to be, you know, first of all, what kind of chaplaincy work does any chaplain do for any religion? Meaning you're preaching, you're praying with people. It's not always about gimme, gimme, gimme. It's a lot of, there's a lot of things, you know, and, uh, and that's, you know, although they, in general, chaplaincy looks at Jews as being the gimme, gimme people, because we have so many things we need for our religion, but really other religions have similar you know requirements too but so yeah if it's a woman who wants kosher food who needs or needs kosher food that's going to be part of the job but uh but a lot of times it's just learning with people just like we would with anybody else general it's, pastoral you know, care yeah you know counseling uh, they have would you say that um you know we, we talk about the needs uh would you say that and again i i i'm you know, i i played uh, are in many many fields. Uh, I've been in the Moschusidish Chadorim as a as as a teacher. Uh, I've I've been you know in, in, involved in, in many in some real high power koyulim in in the frumest places in the world and in the most modern. Do you think you know? So I so I've seen a lot of different interactions. Um, do you think that the the women there uh, need a woman? in order to be able to really relate? In other words, you're telling me the Aleph Institute, and I know Aleph is, is very much run by Chabad, and I, I would assume that most of the people involved in the Aleph Institute are Chabad the Shulchem, or Chabad, uh, Chabad type of teachers, and, and mostly men. Um, don't, uh, wouldn't you think, Chava, that, that the more effective uh, pastor and the most effective chaplain in a women's prison would be a woman the same way you know you right uh and and, and i don't know how many there are but lachora the svara says that a woman could open up more to a woman than to a man first of all halachically there's issues of yichud and other things that I mean, probably are, I mean, are, 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 talk about again talk about no buy over here ain't gonna help over here you know what i'm yeah, saying I mean, there, right, right, right. Rockland Psychiatric Center is a, is a co-ed institution, and I was there for uh, about three years before I started at Waymart, and I was I was all the time I felt this you know discomfort of me ministering. Before me, there was a woman rabbi, I think she was Reform or Conservative, not sure, but she um, you know that's who was serving, and there was there was a problem there as well because some of the men felt uncomfortable, obviously, with a woman rabbi, especially if they were more from um but now that both of us are working there as a team even though we both minister both to the men and to the women both of us but being so we both have different strengths that we're offering and sometimes and the truth is you know i'm I, i'll think of one patient at rockland psych who's no longer there but she was not comfortable with a woman because maybe issues she had with her mother or something even she came from a from background and she preferred to to talk to me, even though I felt it would be better if my wife took care of that, uh -huh. you know, that type of thing. Chava, so, did you, but, and, and Chava, have you, and so you, have you been dealing with some men over there too? I do. I do deal with the men. Um, 
again, it's very different because my female, my Jewish female patients need things like they want to talk to me specifically about, you know, their own needs that maybe they wouldn't feel comfortable opening up to a man about. And then for the, for the male patients, it's more like I need X, I need to fill in. I need tzitzis. Can you get me? Especially because of COVID, I haven't been there for a year. I I came back there finally this weekend after a a year and three months. So it's, uh, you know, can you get me a Gemara? Like these, these are the simple (laughs) Pashida things that I deal with, with the Jewish men. It's much less, um, do, do, it's do you, much less pastoral care, I would say, than than uh, I do with the women. So, in other words, the 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 pain you don't men usually you would feel would resist opening up to you and telling the the pain that they're going through, the difficulty. I mean, I've had Jewish, even I would say, from men come and open up to me and tell me about trauma, and you know, and and. I was really grateful that they felt comfortable enough with me to do that, um, but they're much much less likely to. And I have that. I would say that experience is much more rare with the men than it is with the women. Mm-hmm. And 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 again, obviously, there's a lot of inhibitions and and cultural restrictions and what they're used to. So I think again, you know, I've, you know, I, you know, if we had the numbers in front of us, like if I really prepared for this podcast, we could probably speculate as to what's really going on in terms of the amount of women prisons and the women chaplains uh, that are that are available there. But I'm wondering if the other religions and and the, and the women prisons, what's what's you know, we know that there's obviously going to be Catholics and Protestants and and Buddhists and Muslims are, 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 are those chaplains in those women prisons also mostly men from what you know you took so in the the two women's prisons that we have the head chaplain the same position I have are women and as as well as in one of the men's prisons there's a woman who serves in that capacity maybe two that I'm trying to think of and then beyond that it depends on the uh, uh, really who's available obviously in Catholicism uh, there are certain things a priest can do that no one else can do. And so while you might have a nun who's a chaplain or even a, a lay person who's a woman who's a chaplain, uh, that she's going to be working in tandem with a priest because only the priest can celebrate mass, only the priest can bless the communion or whatever it is, whereas a woman could deliver the communion to the other women. And, and so uh, we actually, in Waymart, we only have... Uh, that I know of two volunteers that were women. They were both Catholic and one was a nun. And there was one, uh, we used to have uh, Saturday mass, not Sunday. It's hard to get a priest in on Sunday into the prison. Um, So we'd have Saturday mass and the nun would come to give a class before mass. And there was one Saturday when, and if the priest can't be there, the deacon will do a service, a liturgy of the word that's not, technically a mass but if the priest ahead of time blessed the communion the deacon or someone else could distribute the communion and then there was one weekend when there was no priest and the deacon wasn't available and the nun herself the volunteer led the service again it was not technically a mass but it was a catholic service and she was and she was able to preach and deliver the communion uh in that context uh, among the Protestants, it's much more common to, ha- to have women who are who are ministers, and so that's why that's a, a lot easier among the Protestants. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of one of the um, 
the the heads of our so, so I think so you took... and then among the the Muslims, so yeah. the one of the m women's prisons has the wife like like a rabbits and the wife of another an imam from another prison. She's the chaplain there, and you know uh -huh. they just call her sister, but uh, she serves that community. Uh -huh. and... I see. So there, so there. I, so it sounds like the prison system understands the sensitivities and the proclivities and and the mindset of the their incarcerated individuals. Well, in, gen in, and general, in general, because we have both men and women who work in our prison, and in general. Uh, every now and then there's like an all call for hiring. We were talking about hiring last week. Any women who work in a men's prison who would like to transfer to one of the women's prisons can do so quite easily um, because obviously there's a lot of corruption that can take place um, having men in a women's prison or having women in a men's prison. And it was interesting because I did a training once. I didn't go inside the prison, but it was on the grounds of the women's prison in Muncie. Pennsylvania, and that's where where it's it's near Williamsport, um, so more in the central part of Pennsylvania, and uh, north central. And so we didn't go inside the prison, but we were on the grounds doing this training. And one of the men who works there was complaining. He said, "How is it fair that we, there are these all calls that you want to go work in Muncie or Cambridge Springs for women, and other? Why doesn't he get that?" Uh, all called that if he wants to transfer yeah. to Waymart or or to <laughs> Dallas or somewhere else, you know, this is where he is now, but maybe he would prefer to be in a men's prison to not have the types of temptations and 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 uh, and other issues that could come up being a man working in a women's prison. Sure. And I, again, I, as since I know, you know, my sister was sexually abused in when she was uh, uh, put into her the mental institution that she was in. Um, it's one of the obviously one of the most frequent type of things that when you have a woman who is uh, in a vulnerable situation and when you have guards and or COs or whatever you want to call them, trustees or others, uh, the the taiva to take advantage is very great. In fact, the Rambam says something similar by Shifcha Harufa. One of the reasons why the Torah is, is, uh, gives the type of ownership it gives has to do with the fact that there's an attitude like, yeah, of course, this is someone who's loose, someone that's available. Um, do you find, uh, Chava, that uh, the women complain about people that are being untoward towards her, people that are making advances, that do they ever tell you about this? So I'm very fortunate in that I've never had a complaint about anybody being inappropriate. More the complaints are, I would prefer to have the majority of my, you know, care be provided by female nurses. And I hear that. And I think it's a very valid, um, you know, a valid request. And I try to advocate for any women who prefer that. But if anybody ever came to me and said, this happened, there would be no pause. I would go and report it directly to the executive director. I'm sure that's sure You know, your husband and I have spoken about one of the things that break out in the men's prison, which is, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, jostling for position. Uh, your husband has spoken um, quite a bit about people who try to influence others and try to control people. And there's been fights. Do you, where you are, which of course is a, a a mental health facility, but would you say in prisons and in mental health facilities that there's there's also this sort of like, um, you know, 
jealousy and fighting, you know, between them. I know we have this, you know, this image that again the lurid Hollywood exploitation films of the women fighting in in prison. But do do you think that occurs uh, with the same time? I was telling my my children that I've never seen more fights ever than every single time I'm on the all women's unit. There's a fight. And um, I was what is it usually how I kind of like break it down. <laughs> what's it you what are, what are they usually fighting about? Nonsense. <laughs> the television, mm. uh, you know, you touch my crayons, uh <laughs> anything. They'll find any <laughs> any little thing, there'll be a fight. Usually if I use my mom voice, it stops them. Um, or if I tell them, like, give us a little sample, uh, Chava, give us a little sample of the mom voice. (laughs) Girls, girls, break it up. That's the mom voice that usually works. (laughs) Uh And you might even be talking to girls that are 15 or 20 years older than you, but they're grandmothers, Grandmothers. but if they're going to act like little girls, you know, and Uh then I think that that shocks them because you know, they are much older than I am. And if I call them girls then they're like, wait you know yeah we're behaving like children and usually they chill out but and and, and when we when, when you say fights it's not just screaming at each other they're actually uh, you know grabbing each other's hair and poking their eyes yeah if it's physical then usually i call staff but we, they start posturing and i can tell a fight's about to happen and that's when the mom voice comes out so <laughs> so you so you've seen them you've seen them get ready for fighting um oh sure and again, obviously, any incarcerated situation, you know, the emotions are going to be high. You're talking about people that that are anyway have a, a certain amount of instability and, and difficulty. So uh, it's not surprising, I guess. But, you know, we talk about women and men in terms of violence, in terms of tendencies. Um, uh, you know, you, from what you're saying to me, there's that if you don't have the CEOs there, uh, there's probably they probably would be similar amount of violence in women prisons and women uh, facilities as there would be in men's. I think that's what you're, I think that's what well, you're suggesting. Well, that's just my experience. I will say though that- um, These are mentally ill people also. So yeah, we do have a forensic-ish um, unit where people who have come from prison go to the certain unit and it's all men. Mm. And I would say they don't fight as much as the women do, but when they fight, it's very violent and often deadly, and can be deadly. Because I have explain it again. Why was the very violent fight? What, um, explain explain yeah. what? Explain how this unit is different. So, peop, so the patients that are on this unit have come directly from prison. They're often on parole. They're generally they're offered as a term of their parole. Um, to come to Rockland Psych Center. I will not tell you that it is offered to them as a mental hospital situation. They sort of lie to them to get them to come to our program. But generally these guys come from prison and they're highly motivated. They blow through the program and they get in and out. But there can be fights on that unit and they are they can be very bad, uh, very and, and- bad. And, and that includes women as well, women who are who are part of that. No, program. no, no. That that unit is only men. That's only men. So yeah. I guess I guess what you're saying is like the real blood and guts type of thing is is still reserved for men. Men still have the capacity for the ultimate killing capacity or the ultimate uh, go for the jugular vein. Unfortunately, um, all the really violent um, 
fights that I've encountered in my tenure there at Rockland Psych have been men. Have been men. Again, and probably this is probably borne out by a lot of studies that I'm sure one one little search on the internet would be able to to provide for us. Well, this is definitely again, you know, I, I guess you know I, I try when I have these conversations. Um, although you think that most of what I'm doing is browbeating uh, the rabbi, uh, yeah. I do I, I do try to you know like tease out of him an idea that hopefully we can suggest together uh, that if people are listening that maybe we could you know create some sort of changes um, and 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 because I'm obviously listening you know I represent the listening audience you know I don't know about this you know I right. I, I chose you guys and I'm just your interlocutor and I'm just you know a very uh, um, I guess a, a prickly interlocutor that uh, that you know that connects things and tries to keep things amusing. But one of the things I try to do in these conversations is to understand and to think about how perhaps things uh, could be better. And well, one of the things that I would say, if you're a Jewish woman and you're listening to this podcast, getting a Jewish pen pal, you can get a Jewish. Um, female Jewish pen pal, probably female, I don't know, but you can get them through the Aleph Institute. Um, On their website, they have a pen pal option. And I think you can specify that you want a female inmate. Definitely write to them. Definitely, if you can, um, donate to Aleph Institute, donate to, there's a good mental health organization for women called J Proactive. They have a website, jproactive.org, and they do a lot of really good things to end the stigma around mental health. And that definitely helps our prison situations as well. Um, but these are things that women can do to get involved, you know? One, one thing that I've long been an advocate for, which is a little controversial, is that women should be able to have some sort of a chaplaincy type of a training and title um, you know, it's not smicha like we would get among the men, but they have some sort of a ministerial pastoral training because I, I'd much rather see a from woman ministering to women in prison than either a female reform rabbi or a male orthodox rabbi. But really, a female non orthodox rabbi is probably, in my mind, preferable. <laughs> To a to any male rabbi, so, right, 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 and I and I think uh, I, I seem to remember Yitzchak when I was um, uh, beginning to you know contemplate this union. You know, we've never really met personally, although I talked to you, I think, in a very free and open manner. But I think I seem to remember that uh, that you blogged, I think, on something for the Times of Israel, an article I think that you wrote, right, about how or, or somewhere I found it, where you, where was it? I, it might have been in the Times of Israel also, but it was in the forward originally. In the forward, that's where it was, right. And that's where you were like writing it to to indicate that you actually weren't such a uh, a harsh enemy of the uh, of of Chovave and what they were trying to do in terms I mean, of... I, I, I disagree with the way that they, they make it. They give them smicha like a, a traditional smicha that a man would give. And that idea I, I, I don't really support, but that there should be some other type of a program for women, which actually we have the uh, New York State Chaplaincy Task Force. And actually, I think now it's the United States Chaplaincy Task Force. And there actually are women uh, from women who get trained there um, and are and, and are able to, um, you know, serve in chaplaincy positions through that type of training. 
Um, but you know, I, I don't like all these, you know, different titles, you know, really, you know, I would say it, Reverend Minister or something, or Rabbitson, just or Rabbanit, Rabbitson, whatever. It, it well, Rabbanit really, is um, Rabbanit is very close, obviously. So uh, Yoetzet, you have the Yoetzet. Let me ask you something, Yochavi. You know, having I want to just say that it is quite a treat here, and we're not going down so many rabbit holes. I always tell your husband that there's always these shaggy dog stories and rabbit holes because you know he has a tendency. He he has a tendency like to go off, and I'm I'm listening here and say, what is this point? Where where are we ending here? I know I know he has yes, something, I know. but he's but he's much better with you in in, in control here. Um, but let me ask you a question. I'm the chariot driver that sort of reins in the horses. Yeah, so know? that's exactly you know what I'm perfect <laughs> perfect segue chariot driver. I know uh, I happen to be um, good friends with uh, a, a lady in Muncie. Who uh, and her husband that I was I was like a Shabbos bacher by their house. They moved to Muncie, and she has a parnosa that she drives Chassidish women around. They don't drive, sure. and she's the driver. Uh, she's a sure. wonderful, wonderful woman. You might have even heard of her. Her name is Mrs. Lisa Schaefer, and um, I was very happy. What? What? I used to do that too. So, so let me ask you about that because because clearly the Chassidish Shechever looked down at that. My wife's best friend, one of her best friends, is a who is a Chassidish woman now in Muncie. She can drive great. She probably was driving when she was fifteen years old, sure. but now she's given up the keys because her community doesn't want her to be having such a public role. And it's a lack of tzniyus to even if you're you have black tinted windows, but to be out there and driving. So. I, 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 so let me I, get the, I, I, let me get to the point, Yitzchak. The Chassidish yeah. Shechevra that you really relate to, that you send your kids to their schools, do they say, "Hmm, look, look what this Rebbitzin is doing. Look what Chava is doing. Like she's okay. It's pretty." Well, let me. Do they, do they like look down at you? Story. Go ahead. I'll tell you a funny story to illustrate sort of like the Chassidish attitude towards driving. Uh, you know, <clears throat> when my children started to go to Kirasil public, or sorry, to the Kirasil private school, we had to meet with the Hanhala, and they called my husband and I in, and we were freaking out because this we felt very out of our element. Even though we're Hasidish, we're like, whoa, these are really, you know, those are the Rabbitsons there, you know. And I was really scared, and Rabbitson Ashkenazi was there, and we were. My husband was speaking who's the with the, the who's the daughter of the of the guy of the Sat Marov. I, I I know who Yosef Ashkenazi is. Yes, yeah, a different Ashkenazi, but she's the daughter of the Rebbe that from Kirasiel Rabban. Oh, okay, oh, not that, not so. not related to Yosef Ashkenazi. Okay, good. No. I, so I'm just showing my age. I remember him. <laughs> yeah, I, sure. Everybody knows, you know, Rab, Rab Ashkenazi, the the famous Gaba to the Rebbe. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, we went to the, the meeting with Hanhala and I was like sweating bullets. I thought, oh my goodness, they're going to ask me all these things. They're going to ask me not to drive. Da, 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 da. I was freaking out. You know, and my husband and I were discussing all the way down. They're going to ask us not to drive. They're going to ask you not to drive. They're going to tell you to stop driving. Oh my goodness. Although I, I discussed this issue with, with Rabar and Teitelbaum, with the Sama Rebbe from Curious Yol. And he said, if you don't live in Curious Yol or in Williamsburg, he said, even a woman who lives in Muncie or Borough Park drive that's what he told me so my so i'm there with him holla and at the very end of the meeting we're walking out we're getting ready to leave and the and rebetzin ashkenazi touches my arm and she turns to me and she says are you driving and my heart stopped and i thought here it comes and she said and i said yes 
And she said, could you give me a ride? <laughs> Very funny. So it's, yeah. I don't think that they look down on it. And I've asked several people, like, what's the deal? Why is that not Cineas? And the best explanation I've ever received is that you never see, like, a princess driving. You know what I mean? Sure. They're always being filtered around. And I, I, I think Meghan Markle is probably driving around some sort of Maserati. I'm sure Meghan nothing. Markle's driving. I'm sure she's driving. She's always a princess anyway. Yeah. Yeah. She is Mafkia, her shame. Yeah, I, 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 I guess my point was, that they view, I know that you, 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 you relate to the Chassidah Shevelt, you know, you, you know, you're part of what makes your husband so unique is that he's a Chassid and a Rav. Do, does the, do, do you think that, that, that you feel mar, do you feel marginalized about that you're involved, not just driving, but you're, but you're going and, and doing stuff out there. You're, 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 you're a chaplain in a, in a, in, in a place where there are men and there are women. Do you, do you sometimes feel that ashamed of what you're doing? Do you feel that sometimes, I know you said people make you feel uh, more comfortable there in, in Kiryasi Oil, but I guess that's what I was trying to get at. Um, do you feel that this, 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 can, this creates a, a bridge, not a bridge, but a, a wall between you and the community that you really would like to be so much a part of? I mean, look, I'm never going to fit in all the way there. I, it's, I'm never going to. It's a, and I just sort of came to terms with that. But if I can provide as like I used to drive, like you said, I used to drive Hasidish ladies around. I've just gotten too busy with my, you know, with my chaplaincy and with my family to do it anymore. But if I can provide a service to another Jewish woman that makes her a tiny bit more comfortable and makes her life a little bit easier, great. And if I make money doing it, also great. Do I does it make me feel different? I'm always going to feel different. And, uh, you know, I always tell my husband, I should get a, a bumper sticker that says in Yiddish, the Rebbe says it's okay, because I do, I get looks, yeah. you know, especially if I'm wearing a tijo, like it looks very Hasidish to, and I should, should not be driving. You know, I don't want Mara sign. I don't want people to think like, oh, this Hasidish lady is driving and how dare she. But truth be told, I got, I've got a job to do. I got jobs multiple to do. And I can't let what other people think of me stand in the way. 100%. That's what the Kotzker uh, taught us from last week's parsha. It's a gate derun v'zei trachtenbeg in there. That's the, if, if you live your life that way, then basically you don't have the, you, you don't have the schus to, to have Eretz Yisrael and to be a real Eved Hashem. Right. Okay, so let's uh, move into the area that I always say is the uh, the most fun in our little uh, tete-a-tete that we have, where we talk about something, uh, uh, whether it's a, a, a movie, an old movie, a television show, uh, a new movie, a cartoon, something that somehow... Um, Although I think with Yitzchak, it's usually, you know, the cartoons is usually limited to Simpsons only. But what is it that, what can we talk about that, uh, I think Marge was actually in prison, right? I think so. Didn't Marge go into prison? That's where, that's where you were going. I knew that. But we're going to give you, we're going to be, we're going to be machabed your Rebetz and Chava with Psicha. So tell us, give us, give us some 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 input what you think some sort of movie or film or something that you think uh carries the themes that we've been talking about to, uh, this evening well i have two very quick ones and i'm much more interesting than my husband in that i watch movies that are after 1965 <laughs> so both of these fit that bill and the first one would be the television program orange is the new black 
which was filmed at Rockland Psychiatric Center. Which was Center. filmed at Rockland Psychiatric Center where I work, but is about a woman's experience in a federal prison. She actually wrote a book and then the book became a program on Netflix. And it's actually really a very interesting program. It's not for kids. Please don't let your children watch it. But um, watch it. <laughs> it is... You get into the backstories of these characters and how they came to prison and how they deal with being in prison with with the trauma and with the their histories and with their lives that they've lived. And it's I think it's very um, interesting. I think it's probably is it a pretty accurate description of how prison goes? I only watch a little bit, but you showed me the one with the Jewish. Uh... Right. So there's actually a storyline that I'll mention very quickly and briefly that I felt very connected to about a woman who wants to get kosher food because she hears the kosher food is better. And to, in order to do that, she has to answer a few questions about Judaism to prove that she's Jewish. Now, I don't think you really have to do that in yes. prison. Oh, you do have to do that. Okay. So she sort of like begins a correspondence with the rabbi and the more she learns about Judaism, and I'll be real, it's a black lady, the more she realizes that she really likes it. She wants to be Jewish. This is not the, this is not the, the Laverne Cox, right? The big tall. No, 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 no. Laverne, no, Cox, no is, Laverne Cox is the transgender man, right? Who's in that prison, trans, right? Yeah, um, male to female trans, but no, this is a different character. Yeah, okay. So there's actually a scene where they, uh, there's like a small little prison break and they go to a pond. They get uh, a little segment of their population gets to the pond. And she's like, this, this is this. I could be, I could convert here. I could convert her. She gets three Jewish ladies to come where she's like, watch me go under the water. Uh. <laughs> and they have a scene where they like show her face underwater. And she just has this blissful glow of like, finally. And I know how that feels um, being a right. convert myself so so you think it was so so what you're saying Chav is that it's not like you know some of these 60s and 70s films with Roger Corman and other people made that was just basically exploitation you're saying Orange Orange is the New Black is is sort of like a it's 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 like a real drama and that it actually although the prison makes it spicy it really does have a lot of human interest and it does have some uh, significant I mean it has some exploitative moments if you're into that sure but it also is a real human um yeah like you said drama there's comedic elements there's you know it's a real human um tale of women who are in prison what is it i know orange of course is the jumpsuit but the new black means because normally black is like a super fashionable chic way to dress that's why right orange so i guess in fashion in fashion they say like oh this year's you know standard color and to the say new, that they say whatever is the is new, the new black because black, black is sort of like the most upscale chic thing okay that's a great uh possibility of many people i know who listen to our program also have netflix uh what else what sure. else do you have for us Chava? So I have one really quick one is and this has to do with mental illness and hospitalization there's a 1990 movie called an angel at my table which is a New Zealand movie. I think it's directed by the same woman who wrote and directed The Piano. Yes, Jane Campion. Jane Jane Campion, Campion. yes. Yes. So it's it's the story, it's the true story of, and it was actually based on this woman's autobiography, the author Janet Frame, who had many um, hardships in her early life, but also dealt with mental illness. And she was hospitalized 
for the majority of her 20s. And in fact, there's a heroin scene where she's in a, you know, 1950s mental hospital, which as we all know, they were not too kind to the mentally ill then. There was a lot of stigma and a lot of misunderstanding. And she was there in these horrible conditions. And the doctor comes in to tell her she's won a national, you know, some sort of international prize for her novel. It's a really moving story about mental illness, recovery, and triumphing over adversity. And I highly recommend it to anybody who, again, it's rated R, it's not for kids, but if you enjoy an uplifting story about someone triumphing over adversity, it's a great movie. Right. So what is the title again? So just, uh, it's, it's called, called an, it's called an angel. an angel at my table. Angel at my table. Yeah. Sounds, sounds beautiful. Those are two great, you know, Yitzchuk, she, she came up with, she, she hit two home runs, you know, after 1965. Yeah. Right. Right. Two home runs there. Uh, what do you have for us? Yitzchuk? Marge, uh, you have Marge Simpson. What do you have? When Marge went to two different episodes where she went to prison, but the first one, the, was... the show's been on for 38 years. You know what I'm saying? She's got to go to prison twice at that time. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, uh... I remember the I remember the one where she goes to prison and she thinks she's in with a man because the her cellmate has got huge muscles and is right or something like that. Right? She's well, doing. She, she, and like, uh, you know, their names are like Fisty and Stabby. And, <laughs> and then she said, oh, she says, oh, are those biblical names? <laughs> and like, yeah, and Fisty is, is a biblical name. It's like, uh, I... Um, Look, nobody <laughs> deserves prison less than Marge Simpson. We know no, that. Exactly. That's right? the, no, exactly. But uh, what was it that she, she, she shoplifted or something, right? I think that's yeah, what it was, right? And, and, and Apu sends her to prison, Never Apu sends her to prison, right? Marge Simpson, <laughs> you are going to prison. I'm probably going to go to prison now for imitating Apu, and I'm not. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm taking over his identity. So tell me, um, so besides the Simpson episodes, which I guess are available on Disney+, Plus, what, what, you have anything else? I, I, you know, it's it's interesting how we spoke about how the women don't make it to prison. You know, they they they, they get away with the crimes or other things. There was, this this week, uh, you know, we watched uh, on DVR after Shabbos, Van Gulli showed the movie Cult of the Cobra, and there was a. Uh, it wasn't clear if it was a. It was some kind of a were cobra movie and it wasn't clear if this was a cobra who turned into a woman or a woman who turns into a cobra uh i guess at the end when it when the cobra is killed and turns back into a woman i guess that points to that she was originally a, uh-huh. a woman but it was a very interesting one of those uh, universal uh movies uh-huh. from the 50s that uh it was the story was that there was uh does it have anything to do with a woman being incarcerated or in prison? Just like a, a just like an evil yeah. woman is basically that's yeah, what it is. She's getting it's away a, with crimes. Yeah, she gets away. Oh, with she gets away with crimes. crimes. The police want to take her, and they and they don't get to. But they, yeah, it, it starts off right after World War II, and there's six guys who are just like hang around somewhere in Asia, and and uh, someone brings them to visit this cult, and when they take pictures inside the the high priest there says that they're all going to be killed one by one and mm-hmm. i see one is killed right there and then so and then what, what is the title of this 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 classic what is what's the title of it the, the cult of the cobra the so cult of the cult of the cobra yeah, yeah. It's a great alliteration there. Okay, I'm going to throw in 
I'm going to throw in something which I guess is not as significant as your as your wife's, but I think is an uh, I, I, it's going to give me a chance to crow a little bit about this program. This is uh, an episode of the Mary Tyler Moore Show, which I think it might have been the third or fourth season, where the she goes to prison, where Mary goes to prison, wow. and the reason and the, and the reason she goes to prison is because she refused to give up her source. Uh, to the FBI or the Justice Department, um, you know, someone has come to WJM's newsroom um, to tell them, you know, it's it's weird that of course all the stations west of the Mississippi um, are begin with a K, but for some reason the Minneapolis was WJM. I don't know. I guess because the people in New York wouldn't get it if it was a K station. But anyway, WJM in Minneapolis. Uh, someone comes there and gives her because Lou is out of the office. Someone takes tells her some private information that somehow is crucial for something that's going on, uh, whether it's a crime or something else that's happening, and uh, they uh, announce it on you know Ted uh, announces it based on this uh, source, and now the Justice Department wants to get the source of the information, and it was given to Mary, and Mary refuses. Uh, to give it up. And because of that, Mary has to go to prison. And it really has to do, of course, with what does it mean of free press? And what does it mean, you know, Lou speaks about uh, the idea of protecting sources, then if sources realize that they would be exposed, then people would not, you know, these these whistleblowers wouldn't come forward because because of the repercussions and because of things that would happen to them. And therefore, if the press doesn't respect their sources, it turns out that the press can be manipulated and it's not free. So therefore, Mary, for the sake of a free press, although she cries about it in her typical Mary fashion, she ends up actually going to prison and spending at least a night or more with two call girls. And it's just a great scene, you know, and, and, and of course, Mary Tyler Moore uh, uh, really uh, knocks it out of the park in terms of, right. And, 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 you know, the way she, you know, the way she deals with the two, with the two uh, call girls, you know, the, the repartee between them and the, you know, the sort of, I guess, so, somewhat risque double entendres that, that go on between them are great, of course, you know, and um, uh, she, is, is over talkative, but I think in general, this is a program that, uh, and I've talked about this to other people, um, it was really groundbreaking in the sense that it, 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 characters really developed and turned into something over time. It wasn't just the same, what can we put her into? Uh, they didn't go for the belly laughs or the quick insult. Um, and you know the other groundbreaking program of that time, which came out in the same period, was of course All in the Family. And All in the Family has aged terribly. Um, it, it really is, is diff. I haven't seen too many episodes of it in the past, but I know just for in, in memory-wise, it really doesn't. It, it didn't age as well, despite you know it was right out there in the cutting edge. Whether it had to do with 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 with. Uh, um, you know, with Maude getting an abortion, which was, of course, a spinoff of All in the Family, or Edith's, uh, Edith's uh, menopause, or, or whatever it was that they dealt with, or, or Archie's army buddy turns out to be gay. All, all of that stuff was, in a certain sense, somewhat exploitive and sometimes in your face. Mary was able to do it in, in a much easier way, and you really, you know, cared about those characters. And while you know, Archie sort of like is this 900-pound gorilla that, you know, Archie and Edith... And the Maritime War show really it was really a um ensemble piece. And most yeah, of sure. you know, everybody really had a chance to shine and develop into people that you really cared for. And uh I've spoken about how important it was in terms of Rhoda, 
to me, Rhoda, of course, Valerie Harper's not Jewish, but she was a, a character, clearly Jewish, but she didn't have to eat bagels all the time. She didn't always have to have to have Jewish tics and mannerisms. She was a character that was Jewish and that was clear about her. But on the other hand, she was just a regular person. And I think that that was something that that friendship, that best friendship between them, I think was 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 so striking. I think it was really, really that important. So, you know, again, I, I would say that, um, that- We just lost Gavin McCloy. Oh, Gavin McCloud, so like everybody, Ed Asner, the Yid, he's still around, Ed Asner. Yeah. Ed Asner, I think, is, is, is pushing 100. I think he was born, he's, he's close, he's, 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 he's deep into his 90s. I will tell he's you, though. 120. He's in for Ed Asner, yeah. I will tell you, I will tell you that thanks to Yitzchak, and this is no big secret, that, you know, I use some of, you know, Yitzchak allows me uh, a Pesach into uh, using his uh, account in order to uh, to, to screen stuff uh, sometimes late at night, and I was I just recently saw Simon. Did you ever see this movie Simon from with Alan Arkin? It's a no. Marshall Brickman. It's like a pseudo science fiction film. It's actually like a satire on science fiction and others, where Alan Arkin plays this character who um, these eggheads, uh, Austin Pendleton and Wally Shawn and others, decide they're going to foist this incredible hoax on the rest of humanity. They're going to take this uh, community college Jewish uh, professor and make him think that he is an alien. Uh, and, he's oh, gonna, my and, and, and they're going to get the world to believe he's an alien. And there's a great scene with the rabbis and the priests arguing about what does it mean if we do have somebody who's who, who visiting us as an extraterrestrial. But there's a great scene where he's escaping. He and... Um, Judith Grabart, who was in the uh, electric company, nice Jewish girl as well, uh, and Alan Arkin, Jewish guy, they're escaping from this uh, super facility, and they end up uh, finding safe haven in this church. But it's a church where instead of a steeple, what it is is a uh, a, uh, a television antenna on top of the church. And basically, they all sing, tele- in, in their church, they sing uh, television jingles, and the and the, I and love the, it. The, the the priest who is like who is uh who's giving a sermon and he's he's reads from a TV guide. And he has, he's at the lectern holding a TV guide saying <laughs> and Lucy and Milty begat Lucy and Lucy begat Mary and Mary wrote a spin-off from Mary and Phyllis <laughs> spinned off from Mary. And this is, and they're all listening to this history of television that he's, that he's saying, but I was so, but it was so great. And it was actually Adolph Green, who was a uh, Betty Comden's husband. You know who that is, Yitzchak. Green and Comden, one of the most, one of the most successful screenwriters in all, uh, you know, Hollywood history. So it was Adolph Green doing that role, uh, another Jewish fellow. And he was like, Again, making fun of this fact, but still, I am sort of like Adolph Green here. Yes, Mary begat uh, uh, Orange is the New Black as well. Because really, why not? I, sure. I found, Mary, I found that, that Mary, Mary begat St. Elsewhere and Hill Street Blues and all those programs, which really begat prestige television in general. So, really, I think, you know, MTM um, is really something, you know, she was. No, really, you know, it's 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 just great. Every time I hear that kitty cat at the end of that, that show, you know, it's somehow, you know, I think it's even more impressive than the than Leo, the MGM lion. I think that, that 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 cat did a lot for changing people's viewing habits and really connection. So, so anyway, I, I, so I'm ready for my accolades. I'm ready for my close up, uh, Mr. DeMille. 
What do we, uh, uh, Chava, why don't you yes. just sum this up? Well, I just us. wanted to say I'm so honored. I felt so honored to my husband when Yitzhak here said, well, you want to be on the podcast? I said, only if I can pick a movie. But I was really, no, I really felt honored that you asked me to come and speak tonight. And I hope that, you know, Jewish women... You're coming again. Look, look, you, you, we'll get you again. We hope so. Look, I think our ratings can only go up. Um, <laughs> so thanks a lot. I really. I found that episode of season five. It's the first episode of season first episode five. of season five. Look, even my even my bikinis has 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 limits. I no, knew it was no, just, just in case anybody's looking for. I'm not. I'm not trying to slug you up. I, I no no I. I, I yeah, look, look, I, I do it. You know, I fly without a net. You know that. Yeah, no yeah, notes, yeah. no nothing. I never check anything. It's all in the cup somewhere. Take care, my friends. Listen, it was great talking to you guys. Put those kids to sleep already. They're probably they're probably watching. They're probably watching all that free stuff on YouTube that your husband is addicted to. Take care. <laughs> Be well. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. Thank you.